Hello, this is Ricky Jones and Jonathan Dorst with another episode of From Sunday to Monday, the podcast where we try to put uh, practical feet on our sermons and answer questions and really help people to understand the implications of the gospel for everyday Monday through Saturday life. So, Jonathan, what's our topic for today? We're going to talk about mental illness and uh, and how we've thought about it in the church and how we see it in the Bible. Great, great. That's a great topic. It's such a such a misunderstood one, and and when we apply simple answers and non thoughtful, just ignorant, even for well intentioned, well intentioned, ignorant answers to mental illness questions have caused a lot of pain in people's lives. So, yeah. so I'm excited about talking about this with you. I'll try not to get too angry, but um, I think this can be very helpful for a lot of people. And a little little anger could be justified. Okay, well. So. Okay, first question. Is mental illness spiritual or physical? <laughs> well, I think, uh, I would say it's both. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we don't tend to understand is uh, we have a very little, very limited understanding of the relationship between mind and body. Um, we know there is a relationship, but we don't really know what where, what all that relationship entails, and we don't know how much uh, thought affects body. We don't know how much the physiology of the brain affects thought. Uh, but we do know that those two things are true. Um, one of the problems with people who have repeated concussions is that those concussions begin to tr- uh affect the way these people think and act. That's an example of, of the body affecting the mind and affecting the personality. Um, if you uh, think about food, if you think about, uh, Jonathan and I just had sausages for lunch. and They were very good. And they were cheese sausages and uh, spicy and they were great. And if you think about those long enough and you're hungry, then your mouth will start to water. And that's an example of your mind affecting your body. Uh, there are infinitely more examples than that. I, but you chose the first two that came to my mind. But what the point is that, that mind and body are not separated. They are intricately woven. That's the way God created us. He created us soul and body. Um, the two are, are meant to be together as one. We are a, a, a we're not either a body or a soul. We are both put together. When the Apostle Paul contemplates going to heaven before the resurrection, it's a it's a contemplation. It's kind of weird. He doesn't think of heaven as being this wonderful, glorious place. He thinks of it as being a little off-putting because he's going to be separated from the body. And he doesn't like that idea. Uh, what he really looks forward to is the resurrection when his mind, when his soul and his body will be reunited uh, with Jesus. And so that's uh, that's what that's the thing for us to keep in mind and. Uh, I think the church just errs wildly, really makes a bad mistake when it wants to say that certain things are just spiritual. And and more and more people are coming to grips with this reality, but it's too late to help a lot of people. You see the problems when um, sometimes people will castigate ADD medicine or they'll say, oh, you shouldn't need that. Well, who says I shouldn't need that? That's You shouldn't need antidepressants, some people will say. Well, why do you say that? How do you? How can you possibly know that uh, the chemicals in my body and in my brain aren't causing me to have certain feelings? 
Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, we would never, I don't want to jump ahead of you, but sometimes what I hear is people saying things like, well, if you're converted, then that, then that shouldn't be a problem for you anymore. Just the other day I was hearing someone talk about addiction, and, and they were saying that when they got converted, uh, they were told that they should never need help. They didn't need therapy. All they needed was God. And that was just uh, a tragic, tragic mistake for that person not to get help. And I was just thinking, you know, you wouldn't say that to somebody with cancer. Right. You wouldn't say to somebody with cancer, hey, you, don't, you just need God. You don't need therapy. You wouldn't say that was to somebody with a broken leg. You know, you don't need, all you need is God. You don't need to go get a cast and get your bone reset. That's what I think. Well, I, think I think the two are united and, uh, and you need both Jesus and you need help. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I asked the question as an either or, and it's kind of a trick question, but I, I agree with you. I think you can't make trick me. Yes. <laughs> but we, we, we have to open the possibility for both, of both and that there are physical parts to that and there are spiritual parts to that. And I think in the church for so long, it's such a complex issue and pastors and leaders want to be able to give quick and easy answers. And so they've simplified it to either or. Yeah. I think there are many in the church who've made it all to be a spiritual issue. It's yeah. just a battle with the demons. Or, um, but some have also, I think, gone the other direction. Say, well, maybe it's all a physical mm-hmm. um, ailment. Yeah. Um, and, and we just need medicine. And, and that's probably selling a lot of situations short as well. Right. We need to be open to both. Um, I actually did a little research for this. What? Yeah. So I looked up a pretty influential Christian book from 1973. You will probably be able to guess, but maybe we'll, we'll leave the author's name okay. out of this. But he's, he writes this. He says, depression is not inevitable. Something that simply happens and cannot be avoided. Nor is it ever so far gone that the depression cannot be counteracted. The cycle can always be reversed at any point by biblical action and the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm. The hope for depressed persons, as elsewhere, lies in this. The depression is the result of the counselee's sin. Oh, What do you think about that? That's so awful. Yeah, That's so awful. I mean, just tell a depressed person that they are depressed because they are sinful is... To, it's just it's spiritual malpractice and it's tantamount to evil. I mean, to first of all, you have someone here who's hurting, who's broken, who's asking for help, and to tell them that the problem is they have a sin they need to repent of, all that does is make them feel terrible, feel guilty about feeling bad. Yeah. And there's so much of that. I get. I bet every time somebody comes in my office and they want to cry or they want to tell me that they're sad or depressed, they always apologize. I'm sorry. I'm like, why? That's just an asinine comment. It really makes me angry. You knew it would make me angry. You you intentionally brought it in here to get me angry. I did. But it's ridiculous. And I just want you to know, if anybody's listening to this, I I want you to know, you you should not feel guilty for having the feelings that you have. That's just ridiculous. You need to learn how to feel them uh, in a biblical way and express them. And sometimes, sometimes it is just sadness, and you do just need to be sad and let that uh, run its course. Other times, it can it can go all the way into hopelessness and depression where you need help. And sometimes it's a chemical, and sometimes it's all, you need therapy, and sometimes you need all three. Um, but you, you always need community. But this idea that it's your fault is just terrible. 
Um, and and I, actually, I thought that had all died. It hasn't. I actually had lunch with a uh, someone who's in the military not too long ago, and he was telling me that when he told people in his church he suffered with PTSD, he was basically told that that's not a real thing. That's an invention of psychologists. And it's just an evil misconception, oversimplification. I, I don't know why so many people in the church have made an enemy out of those who try to help. Um, therapists and counselors and psychologists, they're not our enemies. They're not. They're trying to help people. Yeah. We don't always agree. But we don't always agree with them. We but can learn. But we don't need to cast out what they say any more than we would cast out what a doctor says about, like I said, cancer. You know, it's it's just ridiculous. And, and we're really cutting people off from healing. And the way we look at modern medicine is this. People have been praying for healing for centuries. And God has answered those prayers by giving us modern medicine. In the exact same way, people have been praying for a, a healing, a, an end to depression and hopelessness for centuries. And why can we not say that Prozac is part of the answer to that problem? Yeah. Why are we just forbidding that as being a possibility? Why are we forbidding the, the possibility that modern therapy could be part of the answer to that problem, the, the answer to those prayers? Uh, it's just it's crazy. Um, it's it's reactionary. It's unhealthy. Um, I feel very strongly about it. <laughs> well, I do too because I've experienced it. Mm. And uh, I about seven years ago now, I had a, a series of episodes that um, rendered me kind of incapable for about an hour at a time. It was almost like a panic attack, but it wasn't quite. But it's like somebody's flipped a switch in my brain, and and I just couldn't do anything. And what happened? My brain was working a thousand miles an hour, and I didn't know what was going on. And mm. and and my wife and I, my, I brought my elders into it as well, and we 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 left open the possibility that this is there's spiritual things to this. Maybe this is stress from work. Maybe this is this satanic attack, but. But also, I went to a psychologist or a psychiatrist, excuse me, and uh, and I got on some medicine. And within a week of getting on the medicine, the episode stopped. Mm. And uh, and praise the Lord for that. And praise the Lord. I am so grateful. Um, yeah, I mean, we have a girl in our church right now, Jonathan, as you know, who uh, through a miracle, through an unexpected work of the Lord's providence, discovered that she had breast cancer at an extremely uh, early stage has gone and, and she came in and we prayed for her and then she went back to the doctor and had the tumors removed and she's cancer free right now mm-hmm. and we praise the Lord for that we say that was the Lord being at work um, that is no the Lord is no less uh, involved in that uh, if, the, if the problem is psychological or, or psychiatric and uh, and we praise the Lord for through his providence, giving us psychiatric medicines. To discount that stuff as being evil or unhealthy or harmful, it's almost uh, as foolish as, as hunting for witches. It, it really is. Mm. It just drives me crazy. Mm. And it drives me crazy for a reason. Like I just see people who are sad and who are broken and who are reaching out for help, and instead of getting help or being told that they're bad Christians for needing help. Yeah. And it's just awful, and, and there's, no, there's no place in the church for that. Snuffing out a bruised reed. Mm. 
I'm mixing metaphors there. No, it's good. I was, I was, the smoking flax, you will not stuff out, and the bruised reed, you will not break. Yes, breaking a bruised reed. There you go. Yeah, it's nothing out the smoking flax. Sure is. So, where do we see in the Bible what we might call men- mental illness? Um, you want me to start? I got a few. All right, you got a few. Good. <laughs> that was a true question. <laughs> well, I'd started with Saul, King Saul, mm. and an evil spirit tormented him. Okay. I think that's, I could say that was certainly a psychological affliction of some kind. Certainly. King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, when reason he, left him. Reason left him, and he believed he was an animal and lived outside and let the, the dew of the, of the heavens wet him. Yes. Okay. What was more? more? We certainly see depression in the Psalms. Oh, I, gosh, yeah. I think you could argue. Your tear, my tears are my food day and night. I've wet my bed with tears. And hopelessness, despair. I've looked for you until my eyes grow weary. I've called out for you until my voice has grown parched. Darkness is my only friend. Darkness is my only friend. That yeah. is a cry of depression. Mm. Yeah. And then, of course, we see demon-possessed people all over the Gospels. Mm. Um, out of their right mind. Right. I would even say, and this may be a little speculative, but I, I, I think the Apostle Paul bordered on some depression sometimes. It may have just been because he'd worked so hard and gotten to the end of his life and didn't really see the fruits of his labors that he expected. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and his cries out to Timothy when he's begging him, Timothy, don't leave me alone. We see Jesus cry, uh, struggling with anxiety and hopelessness uh, the night before the cross. That's not mental illness necessarily, but it certainly is identifying with our weaknesses. Yeah, it's so interesting that our Savior is a man of sorrows. And in so many churches, it's not okay to be mm-hmm. sorrowful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, how can the church love the mentally ill? Let's go positive here. Yeah, let's go positive. I, I think the most important thing to do is let people know that the, your church is a safe place to admit your weaknesses. Um, you know, I, I, one of the most damaging things we do is we encourage people to wear masks and say that everything is fine. And when it's not, and so if you are wearing a mask that says everything is fine, and um, people love that mask, then you're going to feel worse and worse because you're not letting them see the real you. And the more they love this mask, the worse you're going to feel. And that's a terrible spiral. Uh, I think you need to let your let everyone know that your church is a safe place uh, to be broken, to be sad, to be depressed, to a- express your anxiety. We have a, uh, we've got a young man in our church who from time to time will hand out communion. He wears a T-shirt that says, uh, it's a familiar keep calm and carry on uh, T-shirt, but his shirt says, uh, "Keep calm." I can't keep calm. I have anxiety. Yeah. And uh, we don't always wear our sins on our T-shirt or our conditions on our T-shirts, but that's pretty funny. Um, that's the first thing. And then I think it's also very important that pastors and church members um, – Know their place, and your place is to be a good friend. Uh, your place is to to walk alongside people who struggle with depression and anxiety. It's not to try to solve it. Yeah. Uh, it. As soon as you see that something is over your head, you need to serve as a resource to refer people. You need to know who the good counselors uh, are in your town, who the good therapists are, and so you can refer people. Um, it's very dangerous to try to answer questions that you don't know how to answer. If someone is suicidal, you need to refer them immediately. Uh, don't try to fix yes. that on your own. Um, 
and uh, it, it's okay. I, it, you, if you want to make an error, it's always better to uh, err to the side of referring someone too soon rather than too late. Mm-hmm. It's a lot better for someone to go to count therapy and go, you know, I didn't, I didn't really need that. Okay, well, we wasted $175 in two hours of your life. Uh, mm-hmm. You don't want to look back and go, man, I really wish I'd gotten this person into therapy a year ago. Um, so uh, those are ways to come to my mind. What would you say? Well, what's, what's a good way to, to serve those who are suffering from mental illness? Yeah, with that, that environment, just setting a culture where it's we don't marginalize people who struggle mm-hmm. um, in in all areas. I think that is so important. Mm-hmm. Like we talked about and um, not to just have a uh, you know a support group that meets in the basement, right? But to let people know that. You're you're a part of the church, and we actually need you. Yeah, to be a part of us, not just when you're feeling good. Right. Also, I, when I, you're struggling. I think a lot of that flows down from the top too. It's important it to have really church is. leadership, oh, like you, Jonathan, who are willing to admit their weakness or not not hiding that, and that just really does establish a a culture where people know that just because you're broken doesn't mean we don't need you. Mm-hmm. We only need broken people. So I think that's that's good. We're all broken somehow. Yeah. So, Ricky, what are some specific things to say and not to say to someone? We'll just stick with maybe depression or anxiety. Yeah, I think specifically when you're when your friend of yours comes to you and has opened up and said, "I'm depressed." Some things to not say off just the top of my head in no particular order. You don't want to say, uh, well, buck up. <laughs> you don't want to say anything that's going to make them feel guilty. And, and just look at the wisdom of that. I mean, if somebody had the power to not be depressed, they would. I mean, you know, if someone had the ability to just change their mood and go, okay, I'm not going to be depressed today. I mean, don't you think they would flip that switch if they could? Yeah. And so I do think it's important to listen to these people and, and, and show them the primary thing you want to do, the primary thing you want to do is communicate that you love them and you will be there throughout this depression and you will be there when they get better. Uh, if they suffer with anxiety, they need to know that you are not going anywhere, that you will be there for them when they have a panic attack that you will be there with them after the panic attack is over, that as long as you are willing to stay with me, I, you're, I'm not going anywhere. Unless you go somewhere, like you can run off, but I'm not running off. So you, you stay right here, and I'll stay right here. And, and the, whatever, that's the main thing you're trying to communicate. You know, you, you want to stay away from kind of simple answers, um, but you do want to, you know, there are solutions, and you want to offer them. Um, you know, so you don't want to say things like, uh, did you take your happy pill? Which, you know, again, is condescending. But you do want to say, you know, ha- have you had medicine? Have you tried medicine? Uh, would you like for me to take you to the doctor? Uh, you don't want to say, hey, well, you know, if you would exercise, you'd probably feel better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it would be a great thing to say, uh, let's go for a walk together. Uh, do you want to go to the gym together after work? Um Again, that's me being in there with you instead of me kind of being over you and trying to tell you what's worked for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to, yeah, you don't want to throw Romans eight twenty eight out and say, oh, this is going to work out for good. I mean, God is at work in their depression, and they need to know 
that they haven't been abandoned by God. But at that time, when you're in the middle of the, the, the darkness, you really don't want to be told that God is doing this on purpose. You just want to know that you're still important to God. I share Isaiah 43 with a lot of people, that you are precious to God in His eyes, and that He is never going to abandon you, even in the darkness, even under the waves, even in the midst of the fire, He'll always be there with you. Uh, those are the things that just kind of come to the top of my head. Yeah, when I was struggling with the, the episodes that I was going through, which we still don't know exactly what that is, don't have a label for it, um, but when, when people would ask me about it, um, I was happy to talk about it if they would just, if they would listen. Mm. Um, I, I really felt a little betrayed when I would have friends who would ask me about it and only listen to about half of what I said and then immediately compare me to their sister or mm. their dad, their experience mm-hmm. and say, I'll bet, I'll bet that's just what you're, you're going through. And <laughs> they hadn't even really heard me and, uh. That was just not helpful. It's not. And it's so tempting to do that. And um, you, you kind of want to control. We we have this desire, this real fear of mental illness that makes us want to control it. And so the sooner we can slap a label on it, it says, I understand exactly what you're going through. Yeah. You, you don't. Right. I know that you want to because you want to be sure that it doesn't happen to you. But you don't know exactly what I'm going through. And please don't say that you do. Well, you touched on it. Uh, my last question was just, you know, how important is community and friendship in dealing with mental illness? I, I think it's extremely important. And, and one of the reasons why is this. When you're in the middle of, of, when you're in the middle of mental illness, you lose perspective. Yeah. And so you don't, you're not going to know the difference between just regular healthy sadness and, and clinical depression. You just know that you're in it. And you need community to come around you and say, you know, this is okay. This is the way you should be feeling in, in this stage of life, maybe in a period of mourning or grieving. Or you need someone to come around you and say, no, what you're experiencing is not normal. Let's get you some help. Um, and that brings me back to something to not say. Um, one thing that, that very well-meaning people always will say is, if you ever need me, call me. Mm. And, and I want you to know, if you're listening to this, Someone who struggles with depression or anxiety, they will never call you and ask for help. Because one of the things that makes them depressed, one of the things that makes them feel anxiety, is this feeling they have that they are a burden on people mm-hmm. and that nobody wants to hear from them. And so it, that's one of the real tragedies of these situations, of these, uh, these maladies, that they make you feel guilty, feel terrible about asking for help, and so you don't. And uh, so never, never just count on or hope that somebody's going to reach out to you. Uh, reach out to them and uh, just check on them. It's okay to just say, hey, I, I thought I just wanted to check in on you. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is an okay thing to say. So uh, you're not going to get better on your own. You don't, you're, it's kind of impossible to know how bad you are on your own. You need community for all of that. And, um, and so I, I really want to encourage everybody to uh, be in a church where they can be honest um, and really make the most of that, not just worship. The worship is the most important thing, but make friends there and to have people in your life who can uh, who can help pull you out of these morasses or terrible things to be in. Well, you, what would you add to that? Uh, I think that's just really well said. I have a friend right now who's who's going through a pretty hard spell of depression, 
And uh, he's in ministry. He's actually get, on his way, probably getting out of ministry for a while. And, um, and I think I'm only now being a good friend to him because I think for a while I was just trying to fix it. Hmm. And I'm kind of mad at myself for that. But now I'm, I'm doing a lot more of just texting him. I'm I'm here for you. Um, I love you, and uh, I'm not going to stop being your friend. And, and I think he's he's appreciated that. <laughs> That's good stuff. That's good stuff right there. Uh, I love you. I'm not going to stop being your friend. That's what we all need to hear. So, yeah. thanks, John. <clears throat> I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. If you have, please take a second and share it on Facebook or recommend it on iTunes, help other people find out uh, and hear the word about this. Uh, We want it to be helpful to as many people as possible. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week on From Sunday to Monday.